The Cinema Limbo podcast is part of Podnose, the UK's leading independent entertainment podcasting network. For episode archives of Cinema Limbo and all of the shows on the network, visit us at www.podnose.com. You can also follow us on Twitter via at Podnose or send us an email via admin at podnose.com. all of us. It holds us in its grip. Some of us try to resist, to cooperate with it, even work alongside it, but soon we are all crushed like so much delicious garlic. My name is Jeremy Phillips, writer, critic, and um, and you are listening to Cinema Limbo. Our film tonight is Clockwise, a 1986 British comedy starring John Cleese and written by Tony, Emmy, and Olivier winner Michael Frayne. You join me with guest Ed Bloomer in his study, High upon a winter morning. Hello, Ed. Hello. How are you this morning? Uh, good. Very good. You're a little bit nervous. We're getting an early start today. Uh, that's, that's, I mean, that's not really true. It's half a living. This is the first time I've recorded a podcast in the morning. Yeah, but I feel that, you know, farmers are not going to take kindly to the idea that half eleven is an early start. Well, we're in central London. Half eleven on a Saturday is, you know, unearthly. The sun's only been up for four hours. I mean, this is why people hate London. (laughs) This is an unusual one. It's uh, another blind taste test for you. Yeah. uh, Because you don't know what we're about to watch. No, I don't. It's this. Oh, okay. Uh... Clockwise with John Cleese. Um, I have seen this as a child. I mean, a child, a child. So I, when was it made? Nineteen eighty-six. Okay. That great year of cinema, nineteen eighty-six. There's 1986. a lot of classic films from that year. And you think uh, Clockwise? Is I, one of them. I feel it's unfairly obscure. I feel that it's um, unfortunately overshadowed by the film Cleese made the following year, which is. Is that a fish called Wonder? Yeah. Is that 87? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. That sort of makes me feel old, but also... I don't know. I, I guess the thing is, because I would have seen them when they were on TV, or yes. possibly, you know, on VHS Maybe. or something. Yeah. So I guess I guess until until you're an adult that's sort of choosing the films to go to, like when you're a kid, or when you're... I guess you don't have disposable income, you don't really put films in the... Or I don't put films in the proper kind of chronic order. Hmm. It, it, it's a of of the films themselves. I mean, it's more about when I saw them. Right. So I think I saw Fish Called Wanda before Clockwise, and I definitely remember seeing Clockwise. Uh, although I'm sure you'll point this out that this is wrong, but I, I'm sure I remember seeing Clockwise just on TV. It was just a, you know, um, it was just on the TV. I wasn't watching it. You were watching. You were, you were just watching a broadcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know, mate. I, I mean, a fish called Wanda. I haven't seen it for a good long while, but I, I have seen it as an adult. Well, a fish called Wanda is a great movie. It's um, it's definitely a classic. But this too, I think, is worthy of looking at. Now, the interesting thing is that if you did see it on television, the TV premiere was on Christmas Day, nineteen eighty nine. 
No, I would have been too young. Um, I'm only 18 listeners. No, when it hold on. <laughs> August, August Bank Holiday 1991. Could be. It's the evening film. Yeah, could be. And then uh, Saturday of the May Day weekend of 1993. I think my memory's just not that good. Uh, I do, I do, I think I remember seeing it during the day. So not, not during the evening. But it's not the kind of film that they could really get away with showing during the day. It's not their PG. Well, it's a PG now. Ah. I mean, it's, it was uh, early, early evening showings. So the earliest, I think, was 7 o'clock. But uh, when it premiered, it was on at 10.20. Okay. Just, uh, just okay. before the uh, Archbishop's benediction. Ah, uh, yes. No, I don't remember. No, I, well, maybe, I mean, as I say, I, you know, I was younger. I, I mean, maybe I did see it on VHS and I just didn't know what I was watching. Well, I remember seeing it on VHS. So I think one of the, uh, the films we rented from our little local mom-and-pop video shop... <laughs> Yeah. Um, which I discovered is sadly no longer in business. It was called Ken Rose. Ken Rose. Just down the road from Ritz Video. Ah. We, we had one shop in the village that, uh, that had a sort of like a wall. I remember you saying that's where you watched Die Hard Huckabees, wasn't it? No, Biggles. Uh, possibly Biggles, but pretty much everything. That's where you went and you got... That was the one place in the village you could go and get to. I recall you mentioning some sort of alligator-based film. Oh, no, that's... Um, Oh my goodness, what is it? Uh, there's one about a super piranha. Frankenfish. Frankenfish, that's yeah, the one. Yeah, Frankenfish. Uh, no, that's fairly recent, but I, I would advise people watch it. I mean, it's a, it is a film. Uh, I expect it is. Definitely got made. Well, we're going to watch clockwise now. Listener, feel free to join us, but we're going to cut straight to when we've finished. So join us again in about an hour and a half. Right, so what did you think of the film? I liked it. I thought it was good. Yeah, I liked it a lot. Um, just trying to think where best to dive in. Um, I, don't, I don't have anywhere near as extensive uh, uh, capacity for remembering who people are. Um, but I quite liked that it was full of... It was full of people I sort of vaguely recognised. And I asked you a couple of times... Uh, during the film of it, certain people, but actually then I stopped because there were loads and loads of people who thought, oh yeah, they've been in something, or they played the dad in that, or such and such. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I liked it as a film. I thought it was good. I um, I thought it was very, <laughs> I was going to say very British, but that doesn't really mean much. Uh, but it's it very w- English, I very think, specifically, English. rather than British. Um, but... Not not a ridiculously heightened Englishness to be sold abroad, just a proper homegrown. Uh, There's a balance there. It's not. It's yeah. Not, it's not. It's heightened, but it's not exaggerated. Yeah, I think I, I think it's it's not. Um, it, it's very easy to get that sort of thing wrong to get the something off balance where it becomes ridiculous because you have to go along with. The idea of what's happening to them. I mean, I, I actually, sorry, uh, two things, I guess. Uh, the the situations itself, so the, the twists and the turns, um, you've got to do that very carefully so that things don't uh, sort of spin out of control. Only one or two bits where you thought, ah, you've got yourself into a little bit of a conversation, so you've got to make a swerve here. Um, but also, yes, the, the style of it and things like that um, would be very easy to make that 
too over the top and ridiculous. Mm. Um, you know, for instance, the the, the sort of uh, uh, the ladies that um, the uh, John Cleese's wife was sort of taking out for the day. Yeah, that would be too easy for them to, you know, be sort of funny old ladies that do, that, you know, they do too much, but they don't. They, you know, it's it's actually. Um, it's not subtle, but it's it, it, it's quite restrained. Yeah. They wander off when they're not supposed to. That's it. That's the whole thing, and that, there's enough in that to and they have, keep things moving. And they have these very set, like speech patterns. One is always apologising and just be very generally very nice. Yes. One is always asking for where the hospital is or thinks they're in the hospital. Yes. And the other is going on about her awful family and the sherry glasses. Yes. Yeah. And talks continuously. Sure. Yes. But but that but that's it, you know. They don't end up, you know, getting in control of the car, a construction crane, and smashing no. into things. It doesn't. It doesn't it never go be- off balance. It never like becomes that. unrealistic. No, it never um, becomes um, with with them at least. Yeah, and in general, it doesn't become the sort of thing that. I mean, I guess who knows? But it it doesn't sort of. You, you get films that are maybe a bit like this. Uh, although I'm failing to bring any to mind where. You sort of think, but that would be on the national news. Like that, would, <laughs> that, that sort of thing would attract attention. It would start to suck in attention from it. Like you couldn't do it unnoticed. Whereas, whereas this is actually, it's quite low key. It's very important to the people involved, but it's, it's not so outlandish that you realise, well, that's, that's going to be the lead news story of the day. No, it's going to be on the local news, maybe. Oh, yes, of course, of course. And, and indeed, maybe, you know, would sort of blow up when it eventually comes to trial uh, and all that sort of thing. But I think it's not, you know, um, it, it avoids the temptation to, you know, this doesn't take place in London, it doesn't, you know, it's, it's not trying to make everything, um, again, that, that, that sort of thing where nowadays, you know, even British films are sort of designed to be slightly... Made for export. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, where... It, uh, and in fact, actually, it's more of a thing in American stuff uh, because, you know, they can be in a city, but it, a lot of the time it doesn't really matter. You know, it's just it's just a city mm. that's, that has sort of the edges sort of rounded off so that you don't have to, uh, you know, worry too much. There's nothing particularly distinctive about it. Whereas this one is more... Again, again, it's, it's, it, it, doesn't go, it doesn't go bananas with trying to make it so outrageously English that I'm not being very articulate but I, I just think it's quite it's quite nicely nicely balanced it is very English but it's not um, uh, it's not Disneyland English no it's not caricature no yeah yeah um, and I think I think also it, it's uh, things do ramp up N- not not always 100% understandably but but it is pretty skilled the script I think and making little Changes and it's, and it's, it's just everything gets it's incre- it's it's incremental. Yes, everything just is one step slightly further. So that by the end of the movie, he's gone from the start of the day, he's in control as the headmaster controlling the playground. At the end of the day, he's delivering a speech that's almost completely nonsensical to a room of people while wearing a stolen suit with one of the sleeves held on with cello tape. Yeah. While little old ladies keep coming in, are followed eventually by the police. Yes. Yeah. Um, but even even then, so you know, when you when it starts off and he's showing that he's in such control, 
um, fancy computer system. <laughs> this lovely like BBC micro. Yeah, yeah, lovely. Um, but all that sort of stuff, um, even that would be very easy to go too far with. Because when he does make the speech in the assembly in the morning, he's not some out-of-control, uh, sort of Hitler-esque figure. Not, no. not really, because actually he starts... His speech, even though it's a little bit sort of self-serving, uh, you know, he, he talks about how the school has done this yeah. and how the pupils, you know, they've done it together. You know, they've, they've established a system... And, but but they're, they're part of it. And there is a bit of sort of picking up the pupils and things like that. It does show that he is actually uh, interested yeah. uh, in, in and, the pupils. And, and he makes jokes. Yes. Like yes. He says, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be away today. I know you're all heartbroken. Yes. yes. So he's, he's quite happy just to make fun of himself because within, within the boundaries. Yes. Because that's, that's how you lead. Yes. But, and, and again, it would be very easy to have slipped into something whereby... He's some deluded monster that has sort of bullied everyone into, you know, this sort of fascist <laughs> school. And I mean, I mean, there's a hint of that, but it's not. It's again, again, it's played a, with a little bit of control, so that you are kind of on his side. He's yeah. he's he's not a terrible person, and and even I guess the whole setup that he's he's from a comprehensive school and he's going to this prestigious thing. Uh, it's not necessarily that even the, the sort of the, the headmaster's uh, conference is not not entirely played for laughs as this completely surreal world of uh, well, I mean, I say that, but I mean, I mean, it is excruciatingly sort of uh, the, privileged and, and the little odd, odd. the little vignettes we get as we sort of drift through it. We just hear little snippets of conversation. Yes, and people talking about which, you know, well, taking a you know, trip to Jamaica and, and we, we, we like want to get the school mosque finished in time for Ramadan. Yeah, yes, things like that. So <laughs> the, the, there's a bit of that. There's a bit of you know, this this is a different world, and it's a very exclusive, very sort of restricted world, mm. and sort of they're perhaps not aware of their own privilege. So that you know, when they get a you know, when a woman turns up, that sort of sends ripples of shock. So that yeah. so that so there is setting that up as that is ridiculous. But again, it's not nastily done. You, you're not supposed to think that these people are bad people. No, they're just a little bit out of touch. Oh yes, they're yes, they're out of touch and and you know, uh, it it does make you think. I, I suppose I, I suppose what I'm saying is that yes, they are out of touch, they're a bit uh, sort of isolated from everyday cares perhaps. Yeah. Um but you're not supposed to you're not supposed to be clear that oh actually it, the arc is not oh he doesn't need their approval after all. You know, the, no. the real lesson is that in fact, you know, he's doing fine on his own. That's not the arc. No. The arc is that that is a perfectly legitimate uh, uh, thing that he wants, and it's not terrible that he wants it. I mean, you know, if you're not a part of that club, you might think oh, it's a bit, uh, it's a bit off. But but you but you see why he wants to do that. There's this there's the scene where he's laying in the the verge by the side of the road, monologuing to Laura, who isn't even listening uh, you know I wanted you know this was going to be the first of a, a big new steps I wanted, I wanted to go into politics you know, I wanted to be Secretary of State for Education it was all going to start here sure but even even then it's not uh, it, it's not it's not particularly cruel it's not like oh he's again that he's such a deluded monster that this is no, this is just this, but you, you do get a bit of the feeling that 
he wants to do it because he thinks he would be good at it and, and potentially even that this would, would help. It's, it's not entirely uh, self-centred. No. He thinks he would be better as... He thinks he would be a good, say, Minister for Education. We ought to outline the story slightly. Do you want to have a go? Yeah, well, just, the, the just setup is real simple, which is, which is, which is good. Um, John Cleese plays a headmaster of a comprehensive school that's doing very well. He is going to be the chairman of the headmaster's conference, and he's going to attend the conference in uh, Norwich, in Norfolk, which in itself, I suppose, uh, you know, if you're not from Britain... Uh, it's kind of, it's, it's it's like kind a deliberately low-key, out-of-the-way... Yeah choice and actually mo- yeah. the film was mostly made in the West Midlands right okay. in Birmingham and West Bromwich okay and it's never actually made clear where the school is yeah yeah that's right well Nor- Norwich is sort of uh, I mean it's 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 used as a sort of soft punchline for things you know normal for Norfolk and that sort of thing well not, yeah but but, here, not, but not but, crazy that, but, again, but, here, again, but just, here it's just well, that's where they're having it. I mean, yeah, let's sure. Just, let's refer to the University of Norwich. There's no such thing. It's University of East Anglia, right? And but I, but in the same way that, like, and again, I'm imagining. But in the you know, in the states, it's not like saying, "Well, they're going to have the conference in New York or Chicago or LA." No, it's, it's like saying, "Well, we're going to Salt Lake City it's in Utah." In, it's in Buffalo. Yeah, something like that. So just just slightly out of the sort of the center of power, you think? Yeah. But but you know, perfectly reasonable. Um, so anyway, so there's a conference there. He's going to go there, and the sort of setup is that he's very fastidious, and he's um, uh, he is uh, he, everything is planned. He is obsessively punctual. He's obsessively punctual, and he knows exactly where he needs to be and when, and things start to unravel. And that's all it is. It's just an unraveling. Little mistakes start to to build up, and then the correction for that is sort of one step forward, but definitely two steps back. And by the end of it, things have spiralled completely out of control, and he's taken away by the police. After uh, you know, and, and and the misadventures have involved huge numbers of other people up and down the country, basically. So it's really good. I mean, that that sort of not calling it clockwork. It is that thing of uh, it's very intricately, yeah, yeah, and it all sort of fits together like a, yeah. like a like a like a mousetrap game. Yes, everything that's sort of trips off something else yeah and um, and again that sort of thing very easy to get wrong yes um, and or or easy to to make seem too uh, stage like or the, uh, sort of stage play like well it's funny because the um, the screenwriter Michael Frayne I think this is one of his only screenplays is much better known as a, as a playwright right uh, particularly for Noises Off which is the probably the, the finest farce written in the English language in the last hundred years. Okay, I'll have to, I'll have to it's, see it. It's a, a hugely acclaimed play. It's okay. been filmed I'm, numerous times. Yeah, I'm just ignorant then. But 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 I can I can see that at work that sort of thing of people have to interact without interacting, uh, so that yes. the audience are sitting watching people uh, miss each other. Like but the scene I, outside the hospital where. I yeah, it looks like it's all done in a single shot. Yeah, but well, that, that's the thing. coming out and missing each other. Yeah, but it doesn't do it too cheaply. It's not like it's not too much of people have having having to look the wrong way at the wrong time. You get that sort of thing 
in, in sometimes in, in film and TV where it really only works if nobody has any peripheral vision. Mm. You know what I mean? Yes, that, that yes. Which so, you can, someone's which you slightly can... turned to the side, but, but you so, uh, while someone walks past you, think, but but you have peripheral vision. You have uh, you know you, your head darts around. Mm. You don't actually. You're not like you, you know you you're not like a machine just focused on one thing. That's not how it works. And so you do get these things in film and TV where somebody sometimes you know you're really um, relying on the audience to go with it because you think it's not that realistic. Whereas actually here, there's lots of uh, things where it's the same sort of setup. But, but there's enough space and it's handled enough well enough, and they they don't they don't try and do too much where everything happens to the exact second where it would go wrong. There there is a little bit of a buffer there. It's not like the car you know you get things where it's not like the car pulls away just as something else happens. It it's done quite naturalistically. Yeah. Somebody misses by if you know five or six seconds, yeah. not not by half a second. You know, there's, there are one or two bits where they, they get a bit closer, but I think it's actually nice. It's it's it's, it's relaxed in that sense. There's there's the running gag I like where you keep having policemen bending down to talk into drivers' windows and the car pulling away at that exact moment. Yes, that, but that's quite good. I mean, that that's fine. I think because that's not the 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 police are not the central characters. They are the people that, no, that other not. people are bouncing off of and things. Yeah. And so that's quite a, that's quite a funny running running gag. Um, and again, a very different tone than you would be able to strike with with a film nowadays without it seeming very odd. The idea that sort of policemen can be ignored or <laughs> are sort of slightly bemusedly uh, trying to sort things out, um, and you know that that that's not the uh, that's not the view people have of the police, and it's not it, it's not the view in popular culture of of, of no. the police. No, it was, I mean, back then it was, I think, maybe still leftovers of like, Zed Cars and Dixon of Doc Green was the prevailing image of the police in the UK. It was like oh, possibly, the, the yeah. local Bobby rather than the Sweeney yeah. or anything like that, even though that was you know, still relatively recent. Yeah, that, that, I mean, that, it's... And these are all provincial police anyway. It's not, they're not the metropolitan police. It's like like, like in the back lane where, <laughs> where Penelope Wilson's punched someone in the face. That's, yeah. It's the Northampton Constabulary. I mean, what's the biggest crime they're ever going to deal with? Well, but that, but that, but again, that's that's um, uh, it's interesting because it sort of uh, it dates the film in some sense, but but even then, uh, the film seems a little out of time for so eighty six. Eighty six, yeah. So even then, you sort of think, well, it could be a little bit earlier. I mean, I mean, really, the important beats are that nobody nobody has mobile phones to sort anything out. Um, uh, it's not easy to call around. It's not, you, you, you know, uh, things like that. It's not easy to get in contact with people or sort of move around. There's not multiple trains running up. You, you, you know, it's, well, it's not like he went, well, okay, the next train is in 10 minutes. We'll just do that. Well, I would say that the train system is possibly worse now. <laughs> <laughs> possibly for customer service. But, the idea that you'd be able to go back and forth through the barriers uh, the way he does, well, that's well, not, yeah, that, that wouldn't happen. No, no. Um, but in the same sense, you'd have you know big digital displays saying which train was which and things like that. Yes, that's true. They're not, I should say, that it's not possible to get on the wrong train. Uh, oh, I've done that on the tube more times than yeah. I can remember, and they've got signs everywhere. Yeah, so it's it's, 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 it's definitely done. possible. But uh, but you know, um, you couldn't make this film now without explaining why no 
no one brings out a mobile phone and just sorts it. Well, there's really only two characters who have to be kept in communicado, and that's Brian Stimson and Laura. If Brian, because Brian gradually loses all his property until he really the only thing he's left with by the end of the movie is his underpants. Yes. Everything else he has on him is stolen. Mm-hmm. And he leaves his bag behind at his home, mm-hmm. which he seems to just completely forget about. His mobile was probably in there. Yes, but uh, once you got into trouble, you would ask somebody for a loan of the phone. It's not like he doesn't meet anyone. And the thing is, you could, of course, some people would say, no, you're not getting that. Or, you know, but, but it would become quite strained quite quickly, I think. He I would, just don't think you could do it nowadays. Maybe not. But I think the basic concept, the basic through line of the story, I think could be adapted. Yes, well, you could, you could do something. You could, where you could think of ways around it. You could think of alternative story routes, I think. And, well, of and course. And, and, and one shape. way would be that there's some sort of international conference and he um, misses a connection at the airport and he's left in rural Portugal, right? And he can't speak any Portuguese. And so he can't make himself understood. His mobile phone isn't working. And... But it would be a different sort of comedy of errors. If, yes, that, that would be... I mean, I like the idea that it's, it is all quite small and provincial and it's all set in like the English countryside and villages and yeah. large-ish towns. Like, like, like you said before, it, does, it feels very different from if it was in London. Yeah. And I think that's one of its strengths, that it feels local. Yeah. And it, it was released in the US and it did very badly. And I well, think there's, there's nothing, there's no purchase, right, for, for the average... Person, but that's, that's not. But that's the, that's the sad thing because you could, um, you could just see it on the level that it is without it having to be. Of course, of course, like, but it's like hard the, to sell. How would you get it in? How would you get people, you know, on the seats in the first place? That's that's the difficult thing. How do you market it? Um, what you'd have to lean very heavily on it being John Cleese. Yes, that, yeah, but I, I think that's the only thing you could do. The world isn't crying out for Jeffrey uh, Palmer to star in blockbuster movies, unfortunately. Although, if you can name the blockbuster movie that Jeffrey Palmer has starred in, I'll buy you a drink. Um, he's, again, another face where I'm oh, that guy. Um, a blockbuster movie that he's been in? Yeah. This is not something in the world of blockbuster, is it? No, it was no. a big worldwide smash. It's not a big role that he's in, but it's sort of a sub- substantial supporting role. Give me a clue, give me a clue. Who's the most famous British um, film character? Film character? Yeah. Uh, Bond probably seems Bond. What's he in? He was in Tomorrow Never Dies, where he uh, is um, sort of uh, he's a he's a Royal Navy admiral who is sort of opposed to M's strategies, which is kind oh, of okay. a deliberate gag because he and Judy Dench were actually played a couple in a sitcom yes, at the same time. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, he's in that. Okay, he's been in more things than that. Well, that's the big block. I mean, he's obviously been in. Every TV show, yeah, yeah, in the UK, but he's it's like yeah. people should really know who Jeffrey Palmer is because no, he's, I, he's okay. done everything. I, I didn't know his name, but I, I mean, I recognize the space instantly. He's I been, know quite a few people, he's done, he's done Faulty Towers actually. Um, yes, there's uh, there's a lot of people you recognized that you mentioned, like who who's that playing Laura's mother? I don't know, I looked it up, I still don't know who she is. Okay, I just just one or two people where I thought, oh, I and her father, who know. apparently is on the verge of going to pieces, and he is the most stoic character in his weird, creaky motorcycle outfit. Uh, he he yes. doesn't say a single word or ever change his expression. 
but again, that's good. That's like a, that's just an extra. That, that's another little flavor. Sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, it was it was very good. I thought. Uh, I um, I couldn't really remember the end. So from what I was remembering is when I'd seen it as a child, because mm. I I sort of thought, oh, I I, I remember them being in a field at one point and I sort of thought it ended something like that I th- I sort of thought it would, would end with a more sort of um, Basil Fawlty-esque breakdown right. but I actually am quite glad that it didn't he he begins to lose it or he has that sort of quiet breakdown and just leaves the hall to be confronted with multiple police cars and, and then everybody gets taken away and it um, uh, I, I, I think the end there the just wasn't enough of a sort of Flourish. Um, yes, I think. Michael Palin thought the exact same thing. He he mentioned seeing a preview of the film in his diaries, and um, he speaks very highly of Cleese's performance, mm. quite rightly. But he says that he felt the ending was a real letdown because it just sort of just sort of ends up coasting to a stop rather than yes. climaxing. I mean, yes, I mean think... it's it's Stimson's speech when he finally gets to the conference, and he delivers this speech which he's half remembered because he's lost the actual text on during his journey and it wanders into this digression on timekeeping yeah. yeah but I think either you have to have yes you have to have that be a, like a breakdown or maybe go the other way and he flawlessly delivers you know an action you know a really good speech that actually everybody listens to or the, the, the proper climax comes a bit later and that you, you know leaving the hall and the police being outside I think that if that's your climax, that's it has to stop there. You have to have a you have an abrupt end, I think, um, rather than that last bit with the apple cart—not the apple cart, but the truck but the, full of the, apples. Yes, yeah, yeah. I think that, that's the bit where it kind of goes and just goes on for a, like um, you know, thirty seconds. Thirty seconds long, yeah. And I think you, what you need is you need a more dr- dynamic, a bit of direction where you know the camera follows him out of the hall, throws open the double doors. And the whole place is awash with sirens and, and things like that. That's one way of doing it. But it's slightly, uh, it's just a little bit too placid, the end. Mm. It's, it won't, the, the low-key nature kind of works against it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. The director was uh, Christopher Morahan, and his background was in television plays. Mm. Do you feel that it's, the film is televisual or more cinematic? Well, I, I suppose without knowing what the budget is and, I, and actually what that would have bought you in 1986, I, it seems quite cheap. Yeah. Not, I mean, it, I mean not, not cheap compared to... Say, it doesn't look like they've cut corners to tell the story. No. But it looks as though this is something where they've thought, well, what can we do that's inexpensive? Yeah, which, which is great because, you know... Which is sensible, yeah, yeah. What can what can we do? That's that's. Yeah. I mean, driving around in the field and and having sort of amusing stuff involving people walking around in the field. Yeah, that's cheap and that's yeah. funny if we write it well. But it's not uh, it's not cinematic in terms of the cinematography. It doesn't doesn't suggest you should be watching this in a in a movie theater or or you know a large or a large, large screen. screen. It's absolutely fine to put it on because we've watched it. We've watched it on quite a small TV. On quite a small TV. Yeah. in quite a large room, so we're both sitting quite a long way. But away. I would say actually, <laughs> uh, not a small TV for 1986, right? So um, a more authentic. I would say that's probably a reasonable size TV. I remember having TVs that size when I was young. Of course, but but we're that not talking about a, a projector. We're not talking about oh, no, a, no, a no. big massive flat screen thing. 
um, which is just the TV, that I've got, yeah. right? But but, but, yeah. but what I'm saying is that's a, a fairly, you know, in 1991 was it 91? You said the the the, the TV premiere was. Um, eighty nine. Eighty nine. Okay, maybe that is a more authentic recreation of. Potentially, yes. Well, if it was Christmas night as well. Christmas night, yeah. Um, again, not that important, but 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 you're right. If 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 nowadays someone had made that as a TV thing, again, seems like quite a bit, quite a quite a BBC One type of thing. Yes. Um, you know that's absolutely fine. I think that would be money well spent on the license fee. Oh yes, yeah. I, I, it, I, I do think it's genuinely good, but um, and and in fact, it would be questionable as to what would really be substantially improved by throwing more money at it. I mean, you could talk about the quality of the cinematography itself. Uh, yes, I, I, it would be sort of technical issues, I think, maybe, yeah. rather than anything else. Yeah. Um, the, mu- so, the music wasn't... I I quite like the music. I quite like this, this, this little chamber yeah, orchestra yeah. of musicians. But, but what I'm saying is, you know, it's, you know, if you double the budget or triple the budget, what more would you really get out of it? Exactly, yeah. I mean, really improve it by 2%, maybe. By doubling yeah, the budget, uh, maybe afford big stars in the the, the supporting roles, but but the small those are really well cast as they are, and you you wouldn't necessarily gain anything. Yeah, and it, and it's quite nice actually to see it's 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 not glamorous. You've got quite no. normal looking people, and that helps sell the fact that it, this is it's all the British actors who haven't been able to break America because they've all got character faces. Yeah, but that's. Uh, but, that, Again, that, that 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 is in this case a strength because it doesn't seem so so outlandish. I mean, some of the some of the accents are really cut glass. Uh, but you mean in the the headmasters conference? Not just generally. the headmasters conference. Sort of everybody speaks in a a sort of BBC newsreader. Well, Laura has a bit of an accent on her. I think it's yeah, it's quite. Um, Everybody does slightly sort of... Well, the farmer certainly does. The farmer speaks in fluent farmer language. Yeah, I mean, that's that's actually the, the slightly weak point, I think, is that the farmer is so unhelpful. And I don't think that's... The, the way it's done is not that funny. It's not so much that he's unhelpful. I think it's more that he's unsympathetic. Because he does help. Mm. It's just that he thinks that Stimson is an idiot. Of course, but 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 I think that that I, again I'm I'm talking sort of degrees, so I'm just saying yeah. that's slightly weaker because you've done something that everything leading up to that has been quite naturalistic, I suppose in some ways, um, uh, you know coincidences abounded, but that's that's all part of it. But that's a bit where the conversation is somebody asking something and and literally not being replied to in a sensible manner. Yeah, and I think I think that's just those little bits, and they, they crop up in films all the time, where you just think that's not how somebody responds to another human in front of them asking them a question. They might lie, they might um, you, you know make fun of them, they might um, uh, answer in a way that's incomprehensible, but people very rarely just don't speak. Just stonewall. Yeah, yeah. Unless that's all all they're doing, like they're deliberately not speaking to them, mm. and it's very clear that they're. Essentially, sort of enemies in that sense, um, but somebody asking you if they've seen a tractor around, and just you just go, hmm, and then nothing. You sort of think, <laughs> ah, that's 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 stagey. That's kind of um, stagey is not the right word, but that that that's 
That's scripted. Scripted. Yeah, yes. yeah, that's very much. He needs to now be going somewhere else. You know, th- th- this is a plot point which will get one character somewhere and one character somewhere else and mm. start moving other people around. But it's not. It, it, it does ring false a little bit. What about when Stimson gets to the monastery? Because that's the point when I which I think this is stretching it a bit. This is where it starts. It becomes a little bit of a. Now we're just throwing obstacles in front of him rather than naturally occurring problems. Um, yes, I suppose so. Yeah, I guess, yes, I guess. Yeah, running across a monastery is quite an unusual. I mean, even thing. St- even Stimson says, "Of course, it's a monastery." I should have guessed. Yes, because now he's even just assuming that the universe hates him. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, being constructed so that he ends up in monk's robes and things like that. Yeah, you're leaning into um, farce in a way that you might not want to necessarily. It's sort of artificial obstacles. Yeah, but they don't spend too much time at the monastery. That's the thing. No, it's not like they end up running around the monastery trying to accomplish other tasks. That's dealt with fairly quickly. Yeah, and, and then they're and then they're off on another thing. And it's dealt with reasonably. I mean, the the uh, Brian tries to guilt the father superior in some way by saying, "Oh, you know, the children was, would have uh, it would have meant so much to them." And yes, I, and, but I think that's be- quite that's that's okay because it's it, it's a, a mixture of a bit of delusion as well as self-serving, but but it's not one thing or the other. It's not. No. It's not monstrous self-delusion where he, he genuinely thinks that you know the kids really wanted him to go to this conference, and it's not completely self-serving, because he is obviously proud of his school and what and and some of that's what he has achieved. Yeah. But he he does want to go to the conference and show off that this comprehensive school is joining the elite. Yeah. Even if that's you know not re- you know not really what they should should be going for at, at the end of the day, you know you know even even if there is a bit of that. Well, he didn't really need them in the first place. But as I say, there there isn't that. That's not really. That's in it. no. That's not the point of the story at all. No. And I, I mean, do you sympathise with Brian on that count? Because I think that's it's quite reasonable. I think that he wants to be part of this group. I mean, the group itself, they do seem to be not the kind of people I would like. The, the headmaster's conference. Sure, sure. But I see his point that he wants his school to be part of this great top level of great schools. Regardless of yes. how snooty and snotty yeah. they are, yes, it's it's ambition, but it's not a, a sort of poisonous ambition where he destroys everything just to get. Uh, I mean, I mean, he does over the course of the day. He he just sort of destroys himself and and who, who who's dragged into it, but he doesn't sacrifice the school to fulfil. No, you know his He's ambitions. The, he he has, you at least get him. Uh, the impression that he the, he has built up the school, even if the teachers roll their eyes. Uh, you know, because of his nature and and the sort of insisting that they stand as he enters and things like that. But again, it's not he doesn't he doesn't say anything. It's just they roll their eyes, thinking, "All oh, right, this this is the this is how it this is this how, is it, how is. it is." Yeah. Um, and you know, when he's um, when he's in his <laughs> sort of watchtower esque office, <laughs> yes. uh, you know, commenting on the pupils, he's not sort of saying, "You there." You know, he, knows, he, he, knows he knows all the of pupils, them by name, and he knows. And you know, some of the pupils he's sort of saying, "Well, you, there's the one who's saying you should be in such and such." Um, you know, the, you know, you the class, in, you, yeah. this is where you should be, or you know, you know, every you know, uh, was it Clinton who's sort of saying this is, you know, every day this term. So he does have a connection. He's not. He's not just a, a bully, 
you know, it, it's, so, I mean, he is a bit of a bully, but but his victims aren't sort of faceless to him. They are they are part of yeah. you know the team almost, even if he treats them. Does it, re- does it remind you of any teachers you had when you were young? Oh well, I mean, certainly the you know, um, you know, their study periods, they're not free periods. <laughs> you know? Yeah, um, certainly, yes, absolutely, uh, in that in that regard. And again, you know. Um, it doesn't seem like any schools that I interact with nowadays, but uh, it, it does, I mean, because I grew up in a village and I went to a slightly bigger village uh, school, that sort of quite isolated mm. the school is your culture while you're in it and it's only once you leave school that you're part of something else. Well, that's, that's interesting actually because I went to a, a private boarding school. Okay. So my experience in some ways was very different, but also it was isolated in a village in the middle of nowhere. Sure, yeah. And was an entire sealed world, effectively. Yeah. Um, and we didn't have... They weren't, we didn't study periods. It was private study, which we, we would spend in each other's uh, study bedrooms drinking coffee. Fair enough. Rather than doing any yeah. actual work. Yeah, we had... Um, yes, we had, we had study periods and... Uh, we did play cards a lot, <laughs> but we would get the cards taken off us religiously. I mean, but I mean, yeah. I suppose if we're not having any disposable income at the time. We wasted a lot of money. Um, oh, you were gambling? No, 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 no. No, just like buying new packs of cards because the cards <laughs> would just be taken off us, and we would get them back. Um, I mean, I definitely, when I was in uh, my sixth year, I regret now as an adult the amount of time I just wasted, and I suppose there is some. Um, I mean, apart from giving you time to study, there is a benefit of letting um, young people have a bit of free time to to see what they do with it, and then yeah. and, and most of it will be wasted. But eventually, you realise that you're wasting time. But but I, do, I mean, now looking back, I think well, I could have got better grades if I just studied for a little bit of the time that I was considering a, a free period. I mean, I did a bit, but um, you know, that's that's. I think I, I mean that's probably all adults looking back and going, wasted a lot of time. No, I, I I waste a lot of time, but I wound up getting reasonably good grades because as it was a boarding school, we had a scheduled two hours every week weekday night to do homework. Right. Okay. So that was when the work got done, and that was when you were not allowed to socialise with anyone else. Right. You had to stay in your study room. Yeah. I mean, I mean, my grades were were fine. Well, good even, but well, yeah, but, but I just sort of think there's no reason I couldn't have got I think sort of flawless grades given, given the amount of time that I actually had compared to now when, as an adult, the amount of time where I think, oh, actually, I need to do this and then I need to do this and blah blah blah, and I, you know, hmm. I just sort of think there's no reason I couldn't have done. Well, I think you know. I mean, I, I won't mention your academic achievements specifically, but you've done pretty well. I think you've done a lot. You've done a lot better than I did. Um, well, I, perhaps academically, sort of on paper, but but again, it, you know, I, I, that that's not so relevant as in just the idea when you look back and you sort of think, <laughs> yeah, but I could have done. You know, I, I always think when you're an adult and you realise you you can interact with other adults and and there's no sort of set formula for things. You don't understand that as a kid, and so I think now looking back, I think I could have just you know whatever subjects I was doing. Um, now one of the things I really regret is I don't speak any other language. Okay, I only speak English. Right. And terrible, terrible, very low grade French, right? Where I can ask where this station is. But and, and so I regret that now. Um it didn't really occur to me to just 
go and see if I could sit in on French classes because it's just not how you do things in a school. No. You don't sort of step outside your timetable. But actually what I could have done is I could have found someone that was doing uh, French and, and sort of used them as a study partner and just done something on my own. Mm. Um, so it's just that idea that, that, that um, coming back to the film, just that idea of schools being these little uh, sort of environments. And, and that's even true of uh, Cleese, the way he he sort of leaves the comfort of the school and then and even though it's you know you know he's he's adrift in an alien world even if that alien world happens to be a very ordinary britain where everything else is still happening the trains are running to trains time are, trains are running you on know, time pe- people are doing jobs you know you can thumb a lift uh, the the police are doing you know ev- you know everything, the, everything's happening but, but he the, is a bit adrift but the but the, pe- the he's no longer the one setting the pace of life Yes, yes, that's it. So, I mean, one thing that I like in the film is the, the use of recurring phrases. Everyone has, like, the not exactly catchphrases, but sort of predetermined ways of yeah. speaking. And one of Stimson's things is saying, right. Yes. Which he does all the way through the movie, and that is what starts the whole thing off, because there's a confusion over right and left of the railway platform, and he ones up getting on the wrong train. Yes. Good challenge for translators if you wanted to translate that into... Uh, a different language. Yeah. How do you sell that joke? That's a that's a good one. But um, a mishearing, perhaps. Yeah. But um, but yeah. I, again, you you quite because it's a fairly short film. It's an hour and a half. It's ninety minutes. But you, yeah. So you have to establish characters. You you set up what they're about, and you sort of let them start to bounce off each other. Um, and I think it's really good at that. Um, the, but, 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 but what I was going to say is he doesn't um, for all the things that sometimes things are a little bit convenient or just a little bit you know it has to be this way so we can move the plot on to something else he doesn't make too many uh, ridiculous changes you know he, he does forget things and, and, and things do kind of have to, the puzzle pieces do have to be moved around but it's, you know he tries to get a taxi uh, when that's not available but there's a student to drive him. That seems fairly sensible. He does say, right, you've got to call your mum. You know, it's yeah. not like he just absconds. And it turns out that's what everyone thinks has happened, but yeah. he does say, you've got to call your mum. Uh, and, uh, and I'll talk to her. Yeah. And things like that. You know, he tries to use the uh, the payphones. Uh, he's undone by a problem with the yeah. with the payphones, but he it's not... It's not, and he, you know, he reacts badly. But it's not, it's not utterly ridiculous. He tries one, it doesn't work. He tries another one, he won't accept the money. He tries a third one, it, it is broken. It doesn't work the way it's supposed to. And then he loses his temper and smashes it. He loses his temper, uh, and so you see this sort of the unspiraling, and then he sort of gets a bit of control back, and then he's sort of trying to 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 move on and things like that. But there aren't there aren't too many coincidences that feel awkward. There are one or two bits, you know, where he lies to the police and and. And things like that, where you think, oh, that's that's maybe going a little too far. But he's like um, about uh, not having paid for petrol. Yeah, and he lies just to get out of that jam. It's I I can understand absolutely why he said, oh no no no, we filled up the car yesterday, didn't didn't we, Laura? Yes, didn't didn't we, Laura? Wink wink. Yes yes, of course. Um, and again, there's all that sort of layering things in, like she's not insured, so it, it does layer in the reason why she would. You know, lie um, mm. and, and and things like that. So, yeah, they they, they do kind of cover uh, cover most things. 
Um, so yeah, again, in that that sense, it's 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 a, it's a clever script, I think. I like the little um, character details, like the one brief appearance of Stimson's son. Yes. Who is off school because he has a study because Stimson thinks that he's got a study period. Yeah. But actually, he has a hangover, and I thought he must go to a different school because Stimson accepts sixth forms at his school. Right. And he would know that if his son was there, and also he would know where his son was supposed to be, because he knows where everyone's yes, supposed yes, to be yes, at yes, all the time. True, yeah. um, yes, that's true. Maybe he goes to a, a sixth form college somewhere else. Maybe he just thought you know, it would be weird if my son was coming to the same school where his father is the headmaster, yeah. and we can just send him to another school, and that's fine. But the, the, the plot thread that's sort of alluded to and never stated flat out all the way through the movie is that Laura is having an affair with Mr. Jolly, the music teacher. Yeah, again, well, it's just it's just another strand that's related. Yeah, it's um, uh, it's another chord. But I I do like it's it's never stated flat out. It's all done just with inferences and the way that, that there's there's. Um, I think it's where, um, Stimson is sort of trying to guess which teacher it was, and then at the end of that scene, it cuts to. Yeah, Mr. Jolly coming out of his enormous van, yeah. which he has presumably to drive a piano around in. Presumably, um, <laughs> um, yeah. I, no, again, it's 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 good, and it, it sort of um, uh, again, there's that thing where he never finishes any sentence. No, it always, everything always tails off. So it's just a nice little thing to um, sort of carry some scenes on, or just have another character turn up to sort of. Um, just push the dialogue in a different yeah. way. Just, just like an extra, as you say, like sort of, uh, just an extra chord, an extra uh, sort of little flavor or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it, it's good. Um, and then again, even things like yeah, like the old ladies. It's just another sort of um, thing to sort of have on screen. It, it keeps the tempo up a little bit. It's another seasoning to the uh, yeah to the yeah to the dish. Yeah. Well, uh, John Cleese won the Evening Standard Award for comedy. Off the back of this film. Oh, for, the, for this film, specific, solely for this film, rather than Lifetime Achievement or anything. Okay. I mean, I've never heard of that award. The um, Evening Standard Film Awards. Okay. I think it's another like the London Critics Circle. Right, okay. Um, it, it's a good comic performance, and it's... Um, it's very human. I mean, he really feels like a real character, like a real person. Yeah, He again, doesn't feel it, faulty-ish it, at all, I no, don't think. No, no. Again, it's about making him... His faults kind of understandable, mm. or or sort of slightly natural. He's he's not a monster. No, he's he's, he's kind of ridiculous, and he, and he's and he definitely has flaws. But he's not. Um, he's he's not one note, and he's not. Um, it's not cartoonish. No. Well, it is a little bit. It's but but it's but it's not. It's not. It's not unreasonable. No, no. It's not a sort of. Um, and it's only he only becomes sort of slightly more cartoonish and slightly more faultyish when he's really pushed when he's really at the end of his rope. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But there's, then, no, there's, there's nothing. The, the, the movie's not there to sort of shock you. There are no sort of gross out moments or or kind of gags like that. It's, no, it's much more plot based and character based. Yeah. Um, Cleese also said that he had been offered a lot of film scripts uh, to act in obviously on the, the back of Faulty Towers and this was the only one he ever read that he thought was actually worth doing 
Mm. Which makes you wonder, wow, what was what, what must have been all the crap yeah. that he was offered there? Yeah. Because if you look at all the, most of the films he's done, up to that point, maybe up to about ten years after this, the vast majority were written by either himself or members of the Python team. But but again, you know, um, and then he did Rat Race, which is uh, an exception, I think. But if you were if you were sort of a comedian first and foremost, even if you're interested in sort of act, you know the you know acting, yeah. Um, I mean, some things you might read and just think, well, that's just not not me mm. at all. Um, whereas if you're primarily, I mean, even even someone who's sort of I was going to say purebred actor, but you, you know what I mean. Someone yeah. saying, I'm going into acting, um, and they might, of course, have a, you know, be typecast, or they might have uh, particular strengths or weaknesses, but they might go in, at least at the start, thinking, well, the, the, the point is to act, and, uh, you know, um, you know I'll, I'll take on lots of different roles, that's good, and, and uh, you know, and, and, and um, I might... And then that's how I discover particular strengths, or other people will want me for particular things. But if you come to it from a comedy point of view, you might think, "Well, is this funny? Is is it funny? Uh, is it something I can I can do that's actually good?" I mean, you might go completely against type because you might sort of think, "Well, well, what I want is a really serious role to show people that I, uh, uh, you know, I can do that sort of thing." But what I mean is that you might get sent loads of scripts where you just think. You know, this really is because somebody's seen me on TV, and it's, it doesn't it doesn't speak to me in any way. Yeah. Now, if you're a sort of jobbing actor, you might think, but I'm still going to do it anyway because it's that's how I make my living. Yeah. But if you're already quite successful, you might think, well, I, I do want to choose stuff that is that that genuinely. I've got the freedom to do stuff that I'm genuinely interested in. Mm. And again, I think you know nowadays, where there's uh, small low budget films and you get art house films and things like that, and then you get massive superhero. Or sci-fi, you know, two hundred million dollar blockbustery things, and there's always part of me that thinks, well, why wouldn't you want to be Captain America, and uh, you know, because you'd be a massive movie, so wouldn't that be super exciting? You think, yes, but that's as a that's as a consumer of that product, that's as a as a an audience member wanting to see that sort of thing on screen. Whereas the whereas the actual acting, if that your day to day experience, you might be doing months and months. On, on, on stage mm. or once a month on set and, and doing all sorts of you know, long days and things like that that's a kind of diff- it's a different experience and and, and so I can, I can well believe that you would be sent a hundred scripts that were just I we need a funny British guy in here yeah I'm thinking yeah but that's you know that that's for anybody or I, th- I mean I think I'm sure I've, I've read a thing with uh or I've heard something where Ricky Gervais was saying the same thing, that when The Office became a success and certainly when it sold the American office and uh, started, you know, sort of franchising essentially, mm. he got sent script after script after script, which which just, were just, well, let's get him into this project and things. Yeah. And that he's chosen stuff that has not been hugely successful, some of it, or a lot of it. Um, or all of it. Yeah, but, but it's what he wants to do because he's interested in... In, in, in amongst other things, his own legacy of here's the body of work that I'm interested in, mm. and, and and yeah, you know, of course he, you know, which yeah, which is, I imagine Cleese thinking the same thing that he wants to build a, a a decent body of work, yeah, 
Although he keeps threatening to retire. Well, okay, but well, he's at retirement age, at least. Yeah, so I mean, the, could... main, the main reason that he hasn't retired is because he keeps having to pay off various divorces. Yeah. Um, um, he, does, he has turned his hand to serious acting uh, in a couple of films. Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Right. Uh, he plays Frankenstein's mentor. Okay. And uh, the remake of The Day the Earth Stood Still. Wow. In which he also plays a scientist. And uh, again, a role he plays totally dead straight. Yeah. Opposite Keanu Reeves. That was a weird scene. The greatest actor of his generation. Keanu Reeves playing an unemotional alien. I love Keanu Reeves. So I think he's really. Everyone loves, I, I everyone think he, loves Keanu Reeves. I know, but I think, I think people that criticise him just don't get it. <laughs> I think he's great. I also actually quite like Vin Diesel. I don't think uh, I don't like Vin Diesel. Vin Diesel's a weirdo. No, I, well, yeah, I think that's also true. Yeah, but, but not in a nice way. Okay. Uh, Google Vin Diesel uh, Beautiful World because there's a very weird video on YouTube of him coming onto a Brazilian TV Oh, no, TV I have seen that. And yes. being creepy and yes, weird. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Whereas Keanu enough. Reeves is pure charm. and No, but I just mean on screen. I, th- I think Keanu oh. Reeves is... Uh, okay, okay, not Vin, Vin Diesel's not in this class, but I, th- I, I like seeing Keanu Reeves in things. Yeah, he, um, um, because he's, he's the perfect character actor because... He, well, you can he, do it all. He doesn't, he doesn't really bring any specific persona to whatever he's playing. So he can, he can do action stuff, and he can do, uh, like, he's, uh, the Neon Demon. Mm. Have you seen that? He's, uh, I haven't seen it yet. He, no, has a, but... he has a small role in that, and he is, uh, he's playing a, a, a creepy motel owner, and he's genuinely quite frightening and unsettling, and he's mm. just, just, a, like a, just a nasty piece of work. Yeah. And I didn't even realise for a moment that it was him, even though he's just, like, got a beard. Because he's so because he's different. Because he's a chameleon. Because he's a master of his craft. Well, it's almost like, physically, he just looks the same in everything. But he can just naturally take on these different characters. Yeah, he's good. And he's genuinely good, I he's think. The, he's like, what if Peter Sellers wasn't a wife-beating bastard? <laughs> okay. But anyway, how did we get on to Keanu Reeves? Um, Ricky Gervais. Oh, okay. <laughs> but yeah, yeah I, I, um, I mean, so many people have to... And I include myself in this. You know, you, you, do, you have a job where you, you, do, you don't. For a living. Yeah, of course. Yeah, and yeah, um, and the actual freedom to say this is what I want. And of course, um, you know, films are not. You know, a film can make a, a you know, a billion, and not be any good. And films can, yeah. and films can, you know, fly under the radar and and be good, which is kind of the point of this, right? It's, mm. This is this is underappreciated. Um, so I guess, you know, the actor... And it's very much a John Cleese film. Oh, yeah, he's, he is the star. He's the no star, question. right. Um, he's on screen almost all of the time. It, you know, um, if you had the freedom to make the thing and you think, this is, this is good, then, yeah, I, I, can, I can understand it. I can also understand that on, on, on page, this is very... It, I, think, I, think you, I, I think you get from, from the script what needed to happen. I think there there's some uh, films where you see them and you, or, or TV shows and you think he, someone would have to sort of really chat you through why that's going to be good. Again, um, back to Ricky Gervais, yeah. right? <laughs> so it's like I'm obsessed with Ricky Gervais, but like The Office, um, they, uh, they took the money and instead of working up the script and delivering that, they filmed the pilot because 
how would you read off? Other, you know, you would. It would be very difficult to trust that someone would read the script full of notations like, and then you know, such and such. That there's a cutaway where they look to the camera. Yeah. You have to show someone something like that to say, here's something. You know, we're doing something different here. This is what it will look like, and see if people you know enjoy it. Yeah. Um, whereas I think with clockwork, clockwise, clockwise. Sorry, uh, you would. Um, it's all there on the page, really. Yes, because I think that you have the intricacy of the storyline, and all these, the the main thread of Stimson's journey as a character, and all these extra mm. figures and characters that all feed in and, yeah. and interact. I can imagine it's, doing it's a clear on the page, do, but I can imagine doing a read through. I was thinking about that as I was watching the movie, thinking of it's like they have this idea of fantasy casting. Um, they're never going to remake Back to the Future. And if right. they do, they're going to get it wrong because obviously they're not going to do it yes. pro- properly. But I think uh, Zemeckis has a Zemeckis, has Zemeckis. a deal in place somehow that they can't make it without um, without him or his estate agreeing to. Mm. So and he said, yeah, as long as I'm alive, I'm blocking it. Yeah. But I thought, well, an alternative would be just have it like a staged reading of having just actors with music stands they, reading the script. Yeah, and you could do that. And I think, yeah, that would be an alternative. They do that, yeah. They do do that sort of thing. Yeah, often. and I thought often for charity and things like yeah. that, or sort of fundraising. So I thought, you know, who would who who could play the various roles? And I thought David Hyde Pierce as Doc Brown would be a good, an interesting choice. But for Clockwise, I was thinking, yeah, if you were to do that now, because you've got such a strong script, who could play that now? And I, the first the first person I thought of was Greg Davies, and I thought, oh no, that's completely wrong, because <laughs> um, he's got a very different energy to him. I think David Mitchell would probably be a good closer to the mark. Yes, yeah, I think so. But again, you, you know, fantasy casting is a tricky one because you, you're all, always bringing into it, like, sort of, who do you like watching? Who have you happened to have seen? Mm-hmm. Unless you've sort of watched everything. Yeah. Um, you know, and I suppose you could imagine that actually, uh, perhaps a class of complete unknowns might work, whereby <laughs> you could. You know, I, I mean, I'm not sure you would actually ever get that made. Well, um, well, well, the difference is, I mean, in, in my head, it's it's a staged reading. Right. Okay. So, okay. So, 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 literally, who do you want to see? On, so yeah. On, so it could on, be anyone. Any, any, you know, anyone who you could get, and let's say it's for charity. Uh, let me see. Um, I think possibly the reason John Cleese was first offered this is because there is that connection to Basil Fawlty. I can see the mm. that that he that Basil Fawlty is like a, a caricature. Sure version of Brian Stimson. So I can see David Mitchell. Yeah, I think so. Uh, here sort of, you know, swap Basil Fawlty for Mark Corrigan. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I love, I love Steve Coogan, I think, possibly. Oh, yes. Because I think, um, yeah, I think, I think Steve, uh, Steve Coogan, I think, I think he could... Um, it would almost be like a straight role. Because yes. Because it's, oh, it's, it's not a character... No, no, it's a very real yeah. person. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, he's too young for a by the comedian John Robbins. I think he would be quite good at it. He's too young, but but I'm trying to remember who he is. I know I've seen him. He so he won um, this year's Edinburgh Award. Um, well, but you, you <laughs> well, I wasn't, well, I wasn't there. So no, no, no. Of course, <laughs> of course. But but that sort of, that I, I think he would he'd be able to pull that sort of, mm. sort of stuff off. Um, but if you're thinking of people you see really regularly on TV, um, yeah, I think I think Steve Coogan would be mm. would be 
you know, quite good. Um, but again, I think maybe, I think if you're doing it nowadays, like if you were want, if you wanted to remake it, again, I know they say we yeah. can't, but I think, you know, um, the, the the sort of like the women's roles are very kind of sort of secondary. They're or a bit kind of thin. Yeah, um, a bit sort of subservient in 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 their kind of nature. Laura does speak up. I think she becomes more confident in uh, challenging Stimson towards the end of the film. Yes, that's true. Because, actually, because, that's of, true. because of everything change. they've been, to, everything they've been through together, and yeah. it does become more of a an equal standing between the two of them. Yes, that's true. I mean, uh, Mrs. Stimson. I don't think she even says anything for the last half hour of the movie. No, no, it's a fairly. She just like just needs to just be there at the back of the hall when Brian sees her. Yes, and she and she he she doesn't need to say anything. Yeah, but she needs to say something at some point. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, um, once once everybody was down the police station, how, how could you explain it? How, how much of it could you sort of? I uh, think that Stimson would. I mean, he does co- He does seem to cooperate at the end. He's not arguing with the police. He's quite so placidly getting into the car. Yeah. I think they would just sit him down and say, right, in your own words, Mr. Stimson, why course, do you think but, you're here but, today? But he, he did steal the uh, sort of the... Um, he stole the sports car and, and the stole suit. The sports car and, and he, he did pro- steal the suit. And he would probably admit to it because what's he going to do, lie? Yeah, I guess. I, I mean, but I even think that I is think quite good because it's not. it's not like... You know, it's some terrible. Th- it, it's not like some world-ending catastrophe, no. and at the end everything blows up. It's a solvable problem. He may uh, have to pay a lot of fines, and and uh, you know. I think the kidnapping charges would probably be dropped. Yes, well, that's the thing. There's there's stuff like that where you say, well, no, no. Given this, that's why this happened, and, and such and such, and you know, there'd be a lot of um, explaining and a lot of. Um, Sort of, you know, damaged his reputation, etc., etc., etc. But um, it doesn't go fully overboard where you think, well, that's him off to jail for the rest of his life. No. Again, it would be too easy to sort of slip into something where it becomes a catastrophe that's um, well, can't not, be repaired. It's not, it's not like the end of seven or anything like that. No, 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 of course, <laughs> no, no. Neither. But yes. it, no, it, it maintains that more sort of low key, more realistic. Tone, so yes. that it's not quite the the over energy of of um, a stage farce. Yeah, but it's not as flat and boring as Coronation Street. Never seen it. I won't. Uh, <laughs> I won't comment. I've never seen it. God, I, I find soap operas coma-inducing. So, um, you enjoyed the movie. You recommend it? Yes. Uh, yeah. Pity it was stamped on by a fish called Wanda, but uh, it just it just. Got lost in the, in the tidal wave. Yeah, um, uh, I mean, a, a fish called Wanda certainly has more of that sort of manic energy. Yeah, um, and it's it's from a different tradition because that's deliberate. A fish called Wanda was modelled on the Ealing comedies of the forties and fifties. Right, which is why Cleese hired Charles Crichton, the director of the Lavender Hill Mob, to direct Fish Called Wanda because he was an expert in doing that kind of movie. Right. Hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, whereas this is, I say it's like it's like a bit of the theatrical farce. It's a bit of the television drama, but yes. kind of mingled together and and put on screen. And it kind of, 
in hybridizing those two things, it kind of, I think it does fall between two stools, but it's, it works as a piece of, on itself. Yes, yes. That's the thing. I think, I, I think you might not necessarily go out your way to watch it. If it was showing at the BFI... And I had a and I had like a free pass. Yeah. I don't think I would spend it to see this. No, I think it's much more. It's, oh, it's on kind, TV. It's, it's this kind of setting. It's the kind of film you watch in a living room with people. Yeah, yeah. Rather than in a cinema with people. Yeah. It's a film designed for VHS. Or you know, so you you flick through and you. Uh, although, I, well, I was going to say you sort of flick through and you. you oh, this is on. You start watching it, but actually, you do need the. You do you need, need to be watching it from the start. Yeah, you need the context. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, so yeah, it's a it's a tricky one. I can see why it didn't, or it hasn't, it hasn't really a big following, or no. kind of not not following, but it doesn't have a big. It's not held up impact. as, you know, a lost gem of, eighties British cinema. No, and it should be. I think it's uh, it's it's playing to the strengths of the British film industry of the time, in that it's got. A big name in the lead role. Mm. It's got lots of good character parts. It's got a great script. It's got strong direction. Not wildly imaginative, but knowing how everything is supposed to work and that fits together. Yeah. And a good, achievable production. Yeah. That I have never heard anyone say a bad word about. No, it's I. It's just I, that I, they I, just I, they don't not not enough of them say anything about it at all. Yes. Yes. I can't. I can't really think what you'd really complain about. Um, but I can I can imagine if it if if you're not in the mood, switching off and going and doing something else. So would you say that this is an ideal film to watch after Christmas dinner? After yes, after, yes. after you've done all the washing up, after everything's put away, you and your family settle down with a box of roses and watch this before heading off to bed. Yes, I think yeah, I think it does it does hit that. Well. It's too. It's it's a bit of a shame then that it's now January, so you're going to have to wait all year, listener, before you can watch Clockwise again. But it's worth the wait. Yes, indeed. Thanks to Ed for making the time for this recording. Cinema Limbo is now on iTunes with 40 episodes available, so please download, review, and subscribe. Podnose is also on Patreon, so please do pop a penny in the box to help us with our running costs. We're also on Twitter, at cinema underscore limbo, and in person at j underscore j underscore phillips, with two L's. However, until next time, remember, we don't need a track, it's grass. You have been listening to Cinema Limbo, hosted and produced by Jeremy Phillips, with editing and music by Philip Alderman. Cinema Limbo is part of the Podnose Podcasting Network, so please visit us at www.podnose.com.